BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. The next day, they called my agent and they said, don't make any plans. You're going to Broadway. And I had never been on Broadway and Ugly Betty was coming to an end. It was just the most perfect thing. I I was going to finish Ugly Betty. And then I had a couple of little gigs in Scotland lined up. I was going to go spend the summer in Europe and then come back and go into rehearsal for my first Broadway show. And then a week before I'm going to Scotland, I'm told, okay, there's been a snack. (gasps) No. This is Hello, Isaac, my podcast about the idea of success and how failure affects it. I'm Isaac Mizrahi, and in this episode, I talk to Broadway actor, TV star, director, and host, Michael Yuri. Hello, Isaac. It's Michael Yuri. I cannot wait to talk to you about all things me, probably a little fashion, maybe some Barbra Streisand, and, you know, Vanessa, Judith, all the ladies we love. I am about to talk to Michael Yuri, who is a favorite. I just adore this man's work. I've seen almost every single play he's ever done and every single movie he's ever done and every TV show. And I think we met in the Ugly Betty days. I had a cameo on one of the episodes and I'm pretty sure he was in the scene. And then I think he was on Project Runway All-Stars when I was a judge on that show. And we met again and he's been this kind of like shining star in the distance. And I've always wanted to like dig in and really get to know him. And so the challenge today is how to sort of fit it all into like a faint little hour. So anyway, without wasting any more time, let's get straight to it. Well, Michael Yuri, don't you look chiseled? You look a little thinner to me. What's going on with you? It's the Broadway diet. Right. Yeah, we're doing, you know, eight shows a week. You know what it's I like. Do. It's it's relentless. And this is a big 
song and dance show. I'm dancing my butt off and wow. singing like crazy. And and then there's like the rest of the life. And I go to PT and I get voice lessons. And so like, wow. there's just like, it's a tough schedule. It's a big schedule. Gig. When do you eat? Because if you eat before a show, you're going to be sick on stage. If you eat after the show, you feel like right. hell the whole night. So I used to be a person who after a show could eat a huge giant meal. And actually last night I broke my rule and I did eat a pretty big meal. But now these days I don't. I've been intermittent fasting. Me too. Um, so I take 16 hours away from yeah. eating and then I eat whatever I want for eight Me hours. Too. And it, it's really great. I mean, uh, sometimes I go a little nuts. <laughs> like about an hour before the fasting is done, I go a little crazy. I don't go crazy. I have to tell you, as you get older, like eating whatever you want, darling, changes drastically. Because if you really <laughs> eat whatever you want, you're just going to gain weight. You know What I noticed about intermittent fasting, because I, I work out also, and I've been in other Broadway mm -hmm. shows, and, and I've always been basically slim, but I noticed with the intermittent fasting that things that I could never get rid of, like like yes. weird little back fats. Back rolls, like back fats. rolls, yeah. The, like these weird little things that like no exercise could get rid of or I couldn't figure it out. The intermittent fasting did it and they like went away. Mm -hmm. And also I never get bloated anymore. Uh. I never get weird tummy issues at all anymore. It's so great. So I generally, except for when I break rules like last night, I don't eat after the show, okay. but mm -hmm. I do eat kind of right before the show. I, but I don't eat anything heavy right before the show. I'll have like a turkey wrap mm -hmm. or, or a soup or like a smoothie or something right before the show. What sign yeah. are you? I'm a Leo. You're a Leo. Forget it. Seriously? I would never, yeah. never guess that in a million years. I don't really? know why. I don't get Leo from you at all. What's your ascendant? Do you know? Interesting. Which one is that? That's like your rising sign. So 8880 is my birthday. Oh, I don't know. it. I can't do the math. But And I was born at like 1 p.m. I forget. I used to know all this. Well, if you're an astrologer and you're listening and you can figure it out from that, just text us, please, quickly. <laughs> no, only because, do you believe in any of that? Are you religious? No. No? No. No, okay. none of that. I love I'm not it. religious. I never had religion. My parents weren't religious. And then when I was a kid, I grew up in Texas. I'm from the suburbs of Dallas, wow. mostly. And in that area, at least when I was there, small talk was what church do you go to? Even as a kid. And I remember one day asking my parents, what do I say? We don't go to church. What do I tell people? And they said, just say you're Unitarian. Oh, nice. <laughs> like, that, that would, is yeah, that would really shut them up. funny. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. So you're from Texas. That's kind of sexy that you're from <laughs> Texas, right? And that you've come yeah. so far from Texas. Like, did you see a show in Texas? Did they bring you to New York to show you things? I mean, what happened? How did you My get parents, here? They took me to theater in, in Dallas. We mm -hmm. would go see shows. My dad loved West Side Story, the movie. So we went to see that when it was on tour through Dallas. And um, Peter Pan with Kathy oh. Rigby we saw when I was a kid. So cool. And then I started to get into theater because when I was a little kid, I wanted to make movies. I wanted to be a director. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be like Tim Burton or Steven Spielberg. And so that was my first thing. And I was like, I guess I should do theater. That's the closest thing to any of this. They made me go on stage because we didn't have enough boys to do Fiddler on the Roof. <gasps> so I wanted to be like the assistant director, but they said, no, you have to be on stage. We don't have enough boys. <laughs> wow. The tradition song just doesn't work. So once I got bitten by the bug, once I got like a laugh on stage, I was like, okay, now I want to see every musical. I want to see every play in town. And, and my parents were great. They would take me to see all the shows. There's a lot of community theaters. There's some regional theaters. There's a lot going on. And so 
we would go to Fort Worth to see shows. We would go to Dallas to see shows. There were shows in my town of Plano. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I just went back last spring and directed a play. <gasps> Since I left, there's a oh. theater company called Uptown Players, right. which is this fabulous LGBTQ theater company. They just did a like a, a big queer Christmas show. They're going to do The Prom, that great musical. I the love prom. The Prom. So I went back to Dallas last spring and I directed a play with this theater company. And, and I got to reimmerse myself in the Dallas theater scene. And it was very cool. It was really special. But to your point about New York and theater, the summer after I graduated from high school, I went on a field studies trip with my local community college. So I just graduated from high school. I'm 17 years old. I know I'm going to go to this community college because I had bad grades and and I decided I wanted to be an actor instead of a director. And I like sort of switched gears in my last couple of, so I was like, I'll just stay, stay home, save money, go to the community college. They did a lot of shows, a big theater program there. Mm -hmm. And they had this field studies trip, which was a selling point because I'd never been to New York at this point. Oh God. So I go with these people, basically strangers. Um, these teachers Mm -hmm. that I'm going to be joining, a couple of people I knew that were like also in my high school and we go to New York for 10 days and we see 13 shows and we stay at the Milford Plaza hotel, which is right around the corner from my Spamalot theater now. Right there on 8th Avenue. Crazy. And that's what you think New York is, by the way. You think forever and ever and ever. Like when I went to Paris for the first time, I stayed in the Latin Quarter and I stayed near the Saint Germain. And that's what I think of as Paris, like forever and ever and ever. You think that New York is like Times Square, Milford Plaza, and like the inside of a Broadway show. Port Authority. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. And and we flew into JFK or whatever, and then we took a bus to the Port Authority. So my first step into Manhattan was the Port Authority and then walking from that pit <sighs> wow. up to the Milford Plaza. And then our rooms were ready. So we were like waiting. And our teacher had um, arranged talkbacks with a lot of the, the casts and crews of the shows. Very cool. I love and it. So he wanted to drop off letters. He probably had a cell phone, but there was no email really. Mm-hmm. And so he wanted to drop off letters at all the stage doors. And we're waiting for our rooms. And he was like, does anybody want to go with me to drop off letters at the stage doors? And no one raised their hand. And I was like, I'll go. Of course Let's you'll go. Are you kidding? And it was so cool. And that's when I was like, wait, they're all right here. All these theaters are right next to Isn't each other. And, and we just boom, boom, bounced. It was so, so cool. And we saw 13 shows. and um toured NYU and Juilliard. Which, like which shows did you see? So the first one was Ragtime, original so cast good. of Ragtime. So good. Incredible. So good. Audra, mm-hmm. Stokes, really Peter big. Friedman, mm-hmm. Leah Michelle <sighs> as Leah, a little girl. Exactly. We saw A New Brain uh, off-Broadway at the Mitzi Newhouse. Oh, a New Brain with my, Malcolm Getz, the Bill Finn musical, Mary Testa, Norm well, Mary Lewis. Mary Testa, you had me oh, at it's... Go on, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you would love A New Brain. It's a beautiful score. Okay. It's from the guy who wrote Falsettos. All right. Um, and then we saw um, The Fantastics when it was uh, still down on Sullivan uh, Street. the best show in the we world. We saw, oh, this amazing production of Twelfth Night was playing at the Vivian Beaumont mm. with Helen Hunt and mm. Kira Sedgwick and Paul Rudd. Oh, how divine. Twelfth Night is gorgeous. And it was the first time I was like, Shakespeare is incredible. Incredible. Um, And then we toured Juilliard and my teacher was like, this place might be right for you. You should audition for this place. And I was like, are you kidding me? Juilliard? No way. And because of that encouragement, 
whenever the next round came along. The following January, I auditioned for Juilliard and I got in. Wow. That you see, teachers, darling, is there any other more yeah. important profession in this world than teacher? Right? No way. No, it's incredible. Oh, no. It's really no amazing that they noticed that in you. It's so fabulous. And we didn't even really know each who other. Who was in your class at Juilliard? Were there any other like actors and actresses that we might know of who were in the class? There was this one woman who you, um, who, poor thing. It's Jessica Chastain. Oh, I don't know what I, happened to her. You may have heard of <laughs> Jessica Chastain. <laughs> right, exactly. Very she was funny. in my class. Over the four years, she was my sister. She was my mother. She, she was, was my sister my and wife. my mother. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but she was fabulous, amazing, brilliant. Luke McFarlane was in my oh, class. Oh, well, he's a You might dish. know him from I do other, know him, actually. Super hunky I know guy. him, yeah. Yes. Um, so it was an awakening. This time that you came to oh, New York... Yeah. Are, do you live in oh, New yeah. York now? Absolutely. You live in New York. Uh, this closet is in is right in, <laughs> in, in a pre-war building on the Upper West Side. And you work in L.A. too. I love your show. I love Shrinking. And it's coming back, right? Thank like you. I'm so excited. It's coming yes. back. Hooray. Yes. They shoot that show in L.A. probably, right? Yeah. Right. Perfect. And do you have a place there? Do you stay at an Airbnb? I used to have a place back in the Ugly Betty days. Mm -hmm. I got a place. Right. Um, and like minutes after I bought a place in L.A., they moved the whole show to New York, right. which I love because I love New York. But I was also like, but I have this house. Uh, and so I eventually I, I rented it. It was an apartment. And then eventually I, I sold it. And I didn't have a place for a long time. So I would either make them put me in a hotel if right. I went out for work or stay with a friend, mm -hmm. or an Airbnb. For Shrinking Season 1, I rented this little house in Silver Lake for the duration. And, you know, I lived in a house growing up, but then I've lived in apartments ever since. But during the pandemic, I became obsessed with house life. Mm -hmm. All I wanted to do was live in a house because we were cooped up in an apartment mm -hmm. for two years. So now, anytime I get a chance to live in a house, I do. And so when I was doing that thing in Dallas, I lived mm -hmm. in a little house. I don't even need a big house. There's something about sharing walls, walking through a lobby. I don't want to do that right now. You know now. what, though? I have always had a doorman, okay? Like, even when I was renting a shitty apartment yeah. on West End Avenue for $400, it had a doorman. I need to know that someone yeah. is taking the bullet for me in the lobby, okay? Because I need to know <laughs> that I am one of, like, several <laughs> many doors that the crazy, you know, axe murderer can pick someone else's apartment and not mine. You know what I mean? I have difficulty yeah. in houses. Yeah. You know, I have a little shack-ish kind of place. In Bridgehampton, there are some many houses on my street, like who would really pick my silly little shack to go and sort of home invade when you could have like right. the fabulous giant sort of Moorish estate down the block? Why would you pick <laughs> my little shack? You know, you're not going to get much out of it. Right. So I guess maybe because yeah. you were raised in a house or something, maybe that's what it was like that you missed about it or something. I don't know. Maybe. And when I left my house and I moved to New York, I said, I never need to live in a house again. I'll only ever live in apartments in New York. And it was, I think the pandemic was a big thing. It's like we lived on the seventh floor of a building at the time and we just felt trapped. I felt trapped mm -hmm. and we have a dog. So we had to oh, walk geez. the dog every day, right. three, four times a day. And so when we were when we were really scared. Yeah. You remember the pandemic well, when we were really scared? I do remember. And I have to tell you, my husband and I were in my shack with my two dogs in Bridgehampton, and it was amazing. And he felt trapped there. Yeah. He needed to come to New oh. York City. And when it was really scary, he actually wore two masks and he took an Uber to New York City. And I was like, you are crazy. And I think we're breaking up. I thought we were breaking up. I really did. Wow. And then it was really great. It was like, he's there and I'm here. And it was kind of nice to be like separate, <laughs> yeah. you know, not drive 
driving each other crazy. Sure. But back to you and back to like your awakening as both an actor and as a gay entity in New York City, because I'm imagining yeah. growing up in Dallas, was it easy in the 80s or the 90s? It's never easy, but I think, tell me. Well, I, I was born in 80, so uh -huh. by the time I started to like have the thoughts and, and start to think it, that kind of life would be possible, mm -hmm. it was the mid-late 90s. But I have an older sister who is queer, mm -hmm. and she's seven years older than I am. And so she sort of went through all that ahead of me mm -hmm. in Texas, in our house. She sort of like laid the groundwork. So like it was complicated and I knew that in Texas I could only be a certain amount queer, mm -hmm. but I was also in theater and in speech and debate, I would do these competitions where we would go and compete. So not only was I like learning about plays in my theater classes, but I was working on plays in speech and debate because we would put together these excerpts from plays and go compete with them. And I would see so much. So uh, like in high school, I knew Angels in America. I knew Love, Valor, Compassion. I knew As Is. I knew Torch Song. I knew all of these plays. And so that world was already exposed to me. The world um, of gay I'm, I'm, theater, you know, I, for instance, is what you're yes, trying to refer yes. to. Yeah. So the world of gay theater mm -hmm. and the world of like New York, I understood that. I knew that that was a possibility. And I also had this sister that was like super cool. And like her world was like sports and then like mental health. And also in a way queer, women's sports is also in its way queer, but certainly not like theater is queer. Mm -hmm. Certainly not like theater is like putting it front and right. center and publishing it and putting it on film, mm -hmm. you know, like, I mean, I remember seeing the movie of Love, Valor, Compassion when I was in high school and being like, oh my God, mm -hmm. this is so exciting. Yeah. So like by the time I got to New York, which was like 99, I was pretty ready, but I was shy. And there were people around me that were not shy that sort of helped me like out of my shell. But I was lucky. My sister came out before I did. And my parents were really cool. Like when my sister came out, it was like, what? It was in the early 90s. My parents were like, we have no idea. Like, right. We love you, but what? Mm -hmm. And so by the time I came out, they'd sort of smoothed all that mm -hmm. out and they were great and have been. Oh, it's um, just so amazing. Ever since. It's so amazing to hear like that you're two generations after me and you're talking about like they barely knew what it was. And, and when I came out, it was looked upon as a sickness, an illness. So describe like, was it a culture shock for you coming to New York and actually having a bar that you could, I mean, I'm sure there are gay bars in Dallas, but did you go to them? No, no, no. I, I never went to any bars in Dallas of any mm -hmm. kind. I mean, because I wasn't allowed to drink yet. You know, I came to that New York. Never when I was stopped anyone and... before, but go on. Yeah. <laughs> well, in New York, I don't know if you still can, but when I moved to New York, you could get into bars. Like there were oh, lots completely. of bars you could go to mm -hmm. underage and they didn't care. In Dallas, that wasn't really a thing. And also we were driving and I wasn't really into drinking or drugs in high school. In the year at community college, I remember going to like house parties and drinking, mm -hmm. but I didn't smoke pot until I moved to New York or anything like that. But when I stepped foot, in New York for the first time when I left the Port Authority that day and I was on 8th Avenue in, in the summertime in 1998 and it was stinky and hot and gross and scary. I was like, this is home. Of course. <laughs> sign I, me up. I was, Where do I, I sign? I yeah. was exactly. And, and then like 
a year later, when my parents brought me to New York to move me into Juilliard, we drove from Dallas wow. to New York. We <sighs> parked at family in Jersey's house and we took the bus into the Port Authority and we came out <laughs> and we stayed, I think, at the Howard Johnson's a few blocks Shut north. up. I, I walked us there. I was like, I know the way. Let's go. And my dad had never been to New York before. My mom hadn't been since she was a kid. And I remember my dad turning to my mom and saying, we're going to leave our son here. <laughs> like he couldn't believe wow. it. But I was like, no, this is where we go. I know this is North. This is South. I know how to get there. And then Juilliard's just another few blocks this way. And I led us everywhere and I was home. And when they dropped me off and it was time to go, I was like, okay, okay, go. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Love, love you. you. Bye. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. You got famous pretty young. I mean, how old were you when you did Ugly Betty? I think I was 25 when we 20, shot the pilot. Oh, okay. And when it came on TV, I was 26 And then old. like every gay in the world knew who you were, right? Yeah. And so yes. did you do a lot of hooking up and dating? What was that like being so kind of famous yeah. and gay, famous gay and dishy, also kind of adorable? It's so interesting because I didn't come out publicly at first. I think it was between season two and three or maybe like the beginning of season three, because back then Ellen was out and you were out, <laughs> you know, like a few people yeah. were out. But it was during that time that NPH was outed. Right. Um, so it wasn't like a thing yet. Except you were playing and, a nope. big gay on this show. Uh, yes. So I was playing a big gay. So mm -hmm. everyone assumed and I wasn't in personally, but like people that I knew knew it, but I wasn't like talking about it in the press. So like when people were in the press would want to talk about it, I wasn't. 
So I was a little bit careful, but not really. And early on, maybe even before the show was on TV, a good friend of mine had a birthday party. And at the party, I noticed one of his friends who I thought was really, really cute. And I said, what's the deal with this guy? And he was like, oh, you guys would be so great together. I'm setting you up. And he set us up and we talked on the phone and and we were supposed to have a date. And then because a friend of mine died, Mm. um, I, I canceled the date. And then I never really rescheduled. And that was because... The show came on and suddenly I was like, I was famous. Mm-hmm. Like I was in magazines. I was getting recognized at the grocery store. And I was like, oh, I don't want a boyfriend. I want lots of right. Right, right, right. <laughs> And that guy seemed like boyfriend material. And so I, the first couple of years of the show, I had a lot of fun and I dated a bunch of different people. And then they moved the whole show to New York. And around that time, a different mutual friend had just moved to New York and said, my other friend just moved to New York and you know him. You were supposed to go on a date with him years ago. And I was like, you know what? I would love to make that happen again. Anyway, that's Ryan. Come, And we've been together 15 uh, years. You're kidding. This is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. this, This idea that like when I was first on TV and first famous and like young and cute and everybody knew who I was. That's the reason that Ryan and I didn't see each other in the first place. And if we had, it wouldn't have worked. And who knows if we would have come back around. Well, well, you know, I have to tell you something. I mean, I wasn't on a TV show, but I was a very known personage. And I had my face on magazine covers and stuff. And people knew who I was. And before Grindr, darling, there was a phone line where you would beep to the next caller. (laughs) It was very dangerous. But, you know, I like a little danger. And you would meet occasionally. And people would go, and you are... Are, and I'd say, uh, Paul. And one of them said, oh, really? You're Paul. Paul what? And I said, Paul Smith. And then I realized like, oh, shit. No, I'm not Paul. I mean, Paul, you know, <laughs> Paul Dumpling or something. You know, Paul Smith. I mean, of all things. To the, it was so it's funny. So I know. Funny. But, you know, these things happen. What are you going to do? Did you have a coming out moment? Did you have like a public coming out um, moment? You know, when I launched my company, about six months later, there was a cover story about me on New York Magazine. And, you know, they asked and I said yes, because in advance of being famous, I had this great psychic. And she said, you know, you should think about what you're going to say, because soon you're going to be in the public eye. So I thought, well, you know, I work for all these queens and none of them were out and it's all so boring. Why don't they just come? Come on. You know, we all know. Everybody knows. How do you lie? Right. So I decided I wasn't going to lie. So I said it in the article and then people... People were calling, darling, I'm so sorry you were outed in New York Magazine. And I thought, no, 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 no. I'm not outed. I meant to come out. So it's like, yeah. Wow. Yes. Yes. Fascinating. You know, when Ugly Betty came on and I was suddenly famous, people were like, don't come out. And they were like, you can play this one gay part, but don't take any other gay parts. Wow. And, And I got another gay part. It was the temperamentals that play, which I think you came to see. It was about the yes. Mattachine Society, mm-hmm. and I played Rudy Gernreich, and Rudy I was playing Gernreich another gay. Oh, uh, uh, I was playing this other gay in fashion mm-hmm. that was completely different than Ugly Betty. A different genre, different medium, mm-hmm. different, different kind of character. Different period. Different period, right. different style. So I was like, well, here I am playing another gay part, and it's nothing like this. They're wrong. I don't have to be pigeonholed as gay. That was the thing that everyone thought you're going to get pigeonholed as gay. And I'm like, there's lots of gay. There's lots of ways to be gay. Mm -hmm. I don't have to say no to these other parts. And by the way, if I did, I wouldn't work. Like, I'm not getting other parts. They're not coming my way. Sometimes I get straight parts. I get a lot of asexual parts and I get a ton of queer parts. And 
Great, great. I'm fine with that. I mean, it. Uh, I you've love been it. quoted as saying that you think gays should play gays, especially when it's about sex or their sexual identity or something. Do you think we should be able to play straight people too? That was probably something I said at a time when there were too many straight people playing gay people. <laughs> right, exactly. And it was more like we need to course correct. Right. And, and then once we've course corrected, we can like reevaluate. Mm-hmm. But there's too many gay actors that leave the business because they're not getting their own roles mm-hmm. and they're losing out to straight people. And I feel like there's a pendulum situation going on because I think that a straight person could play a gay person and vice versa. Um, we just kept giving them Oscars <laughs> and giving them Tonys. Right, 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 right. Okay, and giving okay, them Emmys okay. fair, for playing fair gay characters. Enough. And that's when it was like, all right, we got to really think about this and reevaluate this. And there was a point where I was like, if you're playing a gay character and their problem has to do with their right. queerness, you should you should be authentic. Right. It should be an authentic situation. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that like you couldn't act it. I realize like we're actors. Right now I am playing medieval knight mm-hmm. <laughs> of the round table. Obviously, that's not authentic. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean that I can't do it. It's also Monty Python. It's sketches. We're all playing lots of characters. But there was definitely a point, and I think we're sort of moving past it because there's so much representation now. Yes. I mean, we've got fellow travelers yes. that is huge and all these queer people. Mm-hmm. We had that great boys in the band on Broadway mm-hmm. with all those queer people. So like, it's happening. It's starting to work. Plus, like these young people, like Heartstopper, and like it's it's, oh, it's wow. really Heartstopper beautiful. Heartstopper was but, so good. I loved it. Oh, so Darling, good. so speaking of appearing on stage, you seem built for this. Like you really like it. Yeah. And there's no part of you that goes like, what the fuck have I done? I have so much stage <laughs> fright. I have so much dread. You don't go through that? No, I don't. I get stage fright from time to time if it's something really challenging and I don't feel ready mm-hmm. or if it's like a big moment, I have a big song in spam a lot. And some nights I get ner- get like nervous. And there are things that I do. Like I have this long patter song mm-hmm. in spam a lot and I go through the lyrics before every show, like right before I do the mm-hmm. song backstage, I go through the entire lyric and right. it's become a superstition. I don't think I need to mm-hmm. anymore, but I do that. And I've never been superstitious in that way. Um, oh, but theater will make anybody like, superstitious, darling. Yeah. yeah, totally. And I think part of it is the repetition. Right. Like this show, we've been doing it for a while, since Halloween was our mm-hmm. first performance. And there's this moment where Leslie Kritzer, who is brilliant, brilliant. she kills, she Such stops a good the show part. in Such the second a good part. act. Such a funny part. Yeah. And she leaves stage right and she goes all the way around. And there's a part where she rounds a corner and Taryn Killam, Chris Fitzgerald and I are just waiting. We're just <laughs> hanging around there waiting. <laughs> and one night she came around and we were like, ah, like, we, like startled her. Right. And now every night oh, she comes God. around that corner we do a bit. Every single performance, That's we do little... something different. I once lost sleep thinking about bits we could do. <laughs> I was like, up. I was like, oh, what if we did? We were all like being frisked by the police. What if we were all like wow. laying dead on the ground? So now we we have to do it. It's become a superstition. Wow. We have to do so- it. So, like, I don't have a problem memorizing things. I really don't. That's how I fall asleep. I memorize Shakespeare, for instance. I just like that, right? Mm, But the thing is, the minute it becomes scene study and the minute I'm doing it with a partner, I'm like, "Uh, uh, 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 what was that again? Any old damn thing that I'm supposed to have memorized. And I worked really hard on memorizing it. And then, darling, there's the brain fart. You know, I had a big number in Chicago last year in the show Chicago. I had cellophane. And 
for some reason, my music would have da 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 da, and I would like da I grew up with that show. I went to see like the original oh original God. cast before the wow. yeah, and so I knew this number. And the conductor came backstage. She was like, "Darling, do we need to?" I'm like, "No." And Charlotte Dumboise, who's a genius, she's like, "Darling, drill it." I'm like, Amazing. "It's not about drilling. It's not about drilling. It's not. It's just this moment yeah. that happens." And by the way. The audience never knows. No. I don't know how they miss it. Why do they miss it? Well, because they take this show at face value. They just assume it's perfect. Right. Unless it's just obviously right. wrong. Unless like, you fall it, it, and hurt like, yourself and start bleeding or something, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. They will buy anything. I can't tell you how many times I've had a huge mistake and somebody comes back after the show and I'm like, God, did you see that mistake? And they're like, I thought that was part of right. it. I thought that was part of the show. Right, thought, right. It's amazing. I thought it was intentional. So... Do you like better performing on stage or being in a studio with, you know, Vanessa for, well, who wouldn't want to be in a studio with Vanessa for the rest of eternity? Vanessa Williams? Oh my God. That was the most, yes. Oh, honey. That was the most perfect job. Ever. I I think, ever. You know, like, it's bittersweet, I think, to have a job so good like that early in the career. Because everything else will have to, like, be compared to it on the one hand. But on the other hand, I know that some people will never have that, have the perfect A-plus job like that, where, where it's your big break, you get paid well, the material is incredible, you get famous. The people are lovely. And, They're lovely. People are amazing. Yeah. And it ended after four years, so I'm not tied wow, to it forever. Right. Like, yeah, it always comes up, but it's not my Seinfeld or my friends. You know, yeah. it was it was a great moment, but we're not stuck there. We weren't. We wow. Weren't and by the way, in, you weren't in, even 30 when it finished. Fuck you. Okay. Exactly. I was 29 when we finished. But the best thing that came out of that show for me was working with Vanessa, Judith Light, (gasps) and Tony Plana, who were the elders on that show. And then America, who was like the second youngest on the show. (sighs) These four people, I mean, and everybody else too, of course, but like learning from them, learning from someone younger than me, America, how to be a leader. Wow. Watching this young person be not only brilliant in the show, mm-hmm. like flawless in the show, but lead a cast, lead a crew. And then to watch Vanessa and learn how to be famous. I mean, and learn Judith. how to be so gorgeous and smell good. Yes, and also flawless. Judith. Totally Judith, flawless. is there anybody more like divine? Like I shot a pilot with Judith a long time ago called Born in Brooklyn and didn't get picked up. And she would say, darling, when you move to LA, I have some dogs. We'll get our dogs together. I was like, what is she talking about? You know, of course, right? Like Judith Light was ready to be like my best friend. And that never happened. By the way, next time you speak to Judith, tell her I'm still waiting to be her best friend. You're still waiting. But she's like, I learned how to treat people from Judith Light because she She treats every person the same. And there's this, this sort of like joke in like LA. Like if you're in West Hollywood, and you run into any gay person, they're close personal friends of Judith Light. <laughs> exactly, darling. And, wait a minute. If you are on 8th Avenue in New York City and you run into any gay in any bar, they are close personal friends with Judith Light. And they are. They are. Like, like that's the thing. They actually Well, I'm not yet, so she... fuck you. Get her on the phone. Tell her to be my damn best friend. <laughs> Judith, if you're listening, call me up. Okay, seriously, I have a hammock in the Hamptons that has your name on it, all right? Seriously. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. 
Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. You know, you talk about a, a lot about your successes. Is there a failure that kind of shaped you in some way? Yeah, I had a great one. When you look at it with hindsight, it wasn't a, a failure. But at the time, it was awful. Mm-hmm. It was the hardest thing I've ever gone through, probably in my life. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, this lesson was as important as ugly Betty. I have this tendency to ask for parts or beg for parts or weasel my way into jobs. It happens all the time. It happened with spam a lot. It happened with Ugly Betty. I found out Ugly Betty was happening. I put two and two together. The casting director had just seen me in something, and I think this might be right for me. This role looks interesting. Get mm-hmm. me in. And my agents were like, we're not sure. We're not sure. And I was like, just get me in. I need a job. I think I could get this. And I got it. And, and it, it's happened a lot of times mm-hmm. for me. And so Ugly Betty had just come on, and I was hosting something. It was the Point Foundation, if I remember correctly. And they were honoring... Hairspray, the movie of Hairspray was coming Mm -hmm. out. And Craig Zayden and Neil Marin, the producers of Hairspray, were there. And I met them and they were really fun. And we had a really fun night together. They had produced a bunch of things for TV, musicals for TV. And I was like, you know what you guys should do? How to succeed in business without really trying. And I should be in it. Oh, my God. And so cut to a couple of years later, it's announced that they're doing it with Daniel Radcliffe. (gasps) And I'm like, okay, this this is my chance. I love this production so much. It was a great production. He was a great idea for it. They were great producers for it. And I was like, okay, this is happening. I need to be in this show. I want to play the villain. Bud Frump is one of the great comic roles. Charles Nelson Reilly played it originally. I saw Roger Bart in Dallas on tour when he came through with Ralph Macchio. And so I told my agents, I was like, I want this. I want to get in on this. So they had me go in and sing. Craig and Neil were like, we remember, we know you want to do this. (laughs) And I went and sang. They said, great, you'll do the workshop and we'll see what happens. (sighs) 
And so it was a workshop, which was basically like a tryout for the estate. Mm -hmm. It was really for the lesser estate, Frank Lesser, Mm -hmm. who wrote the music and lyrics. Mm -hmm. It was really for Lesser to see if this was right. This was the right director. Mm -hmm. Dan Radcliffe was right. And so we did it. It went great. She loved him. He was great. And then like the next day, they called my agent and they said, don't make any plans. You're going to Broadway. And I had never been on Broadway oh. and Ugly Betty was coming to an oh end. It was just the God. most perfect thing. I, I was going to finish Ugly Betty. And then I had a couple of little gigs in Scotland lined up. I was going to go spend the summer in How Europe chic. and then come back and go into rehearsal for my first Broadway show. And then the week before I'm going to Scotland, I'm told, okay, there's been a snap. <gasps> no. Yes, the lesser estate loves you. And yes, the director and the producers love you. But there's another estate, the Burroughs estate, a Burroughs who wrote the book and directed the original production. Oh, come you know, Lester's on. partner. They, yeah. made, they made a few shows. They did they Guys, did and, Guys dolls. and Dolls. They did How to Succeed. They did Most Happy Fella. The Burroughs estate needs to see you. And I was like, what? Again? So I have to aud- basically audition for the first time. And the audition is the day I'm leaving for Scotland. So that morning I go in and I audition and then I go to the airport and I'm waiting in line at security when I get the call that I have lost the part. Oh, no. Oh, no. I have lost it. And the producers are like, we're going to fight this. We're going to fight this. This isn't over yet. It was over. And so I spend the first month in, in Scotland bereft bereft just so upset mm. thinking what am i going to do i'm miserable i'm here in scotland doing these weird weird jobs i should be back i should be a pilot season i shouldn't be here you know i should like oh go try to get back God. on tv my big job mm-hmm. my follow-up is gone who am and i I'm 29 who's gonna musical? want me in a year <laughs> fuck you okay go on go on go on and so i spend the summer in scotland it ends up being wonderful i'm there all summer and it takes a while to get over it the movie I shoot is really great. And then I do a show at the Fringe Festival in Edinburgh, which is really the funnest amazing. place. I love Edinburgh so much. It's a great festival. It's so perfect. I turn 30 in Edinburgh <laughs> and I get home and I'm like, wait a minute. I don't have anything. Oh. This sucks. Now what? Now what am I supposed to do with my life? And it takes a while for me to sort of pick up the pieces and figure out like, what am I without this job? And I get some things. I do some cool things. I end up getting to replace in the um, off-Broadway production of Angels in America, which was really special. I get a pilot or two. You know, some things happen. And then my agent calls me. She's like, are you sitting down? I was like, what? You know how to succeed has been running for a year, (laughs) right? Yeah. Well, they're going to do some cast changes and um, they want you. And I was like, okay, but what about the Burroughs estate? Uh And they're like, Burroughs Estate's not involved anymore. It doesn't matter. And I get to do it. But Radcliffe was still in it when you were in it, wasn't he? No. No, he left and Nick Jonas and I joined. Oh, it was Nick Jonas? So Nick Jonas replaced. Okay. I love that you practically created the idea for the show. And then I know. Right? And then you didn't get the job, you know? I got fired from it. (laughs) Jesus Christ. And then you got rehired. You know what? Let's put this out there. A revival of Victor Victoria starring me. Oh, that is a great You know, idea. as the old yes. Robert Preston yes. part, right? Come on. Robert Preston part, absolutely. Come on, can't you see me doing that night after night? Oh, absolutely. That's my part. Fab. Who would be your victor? 
Victoria. Um, I don't know. Somebody not as good as me. So I would shine really brightly every <laughs> night. How does that sound? <laughs> Wait a minute. But now I have a real, really important question. Okay. This is why okay. I am conducting this interview. Did okay. Barbara Streisand mention buyers and sellers in My Name is Barbara? Because I didn't get there yet. I'm midway through the book. Yeah. I haven't read the book or listened to the book, but I feel like I would have heard by now. Right, I, right, right, right. I always hear you always everything hear. <laughs> that happens to <laughs> The her. gays do not let you forget it. I am forever entwined with that woman. And I haven't, I don't think so. Oh, shit. Shit, man. But she does, I mean, I assume she talks about them all. I mean, She, she talks about, about the mall to everyone who will listen. Are you kidding? Yes, she's shown Oh, she's done CBS it with Gail. She did it with Col every single fucking Colbert. Stephen Colbert. Anyone who wants to go to that mall can go. But you, darling, well, did you ever I, go? I did you ever go to the mall? No, I've never, never met her. Come on, met you her. never met Barbara? Okay, no. well, if you get me Judith Light, I'll get you Barbara Streisand. <laughs> Are you pal? Not really. We were for a minute, and then I guess she met Donna Karen, and the rest is history. You know, it's like oh really, my Donna. God. You got replaced. I by got Donna replaced Karen. by Donna Karen, darling. <laughs> well, listen, they, they, they had to stick together. All right. Well, you're in spam a lot, right? But then they just announced that you're going to be in Princess and the Peas. That I mean, um, yeah, once, once upon, upon a mattress. mattress. So I'm having a medieval musical from one medieval musical era. to one medieval right but tell me <laughs> when does that rehearsal start like is it overlapping mm -hmm. are you going to be like julie andrews yeah. in the back of the woody going from connecticut to like one play to the next play <laughs> across town i will have the route from city center <laughs> to the saint james theater down pat right you know it's one of these encore shows have you ever done no, one of these encore no 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 I, I love it tell them i want to do these shows you should do own. one i mean it's divine this will be my fourth time doing not encores but the, the broadway center stage in dc where we started spam a lot they do the same thing you rehearse for two weeks and then you do it for two weeks mm -hmm. on course you rehearse for two weeks a whole musical wow and then you That's do it crazy. for two weeks crazy. and then if you're not off book they kind of come for you like they did it was dear world i think it was donna murphy and they were like hey donna why are you on book and they're like, excuse me i had two weeks to do this huge and she got, and she COVID got covid and can't you just get over it you know but leave donna alone leave, leave donna, donna alone. alone we should pick it in front of city center <laughs> we really should <laughs> it's very funny when i did the first time i did an encore show there was a point in rehearsal where we were rehearsing something and the director was like, well, this will be much easier when you're not carrying the script. And I was like, oh, oh, oh really? really? Oh, I won't be carrying the script? <laughs> Do you have a problem memorizing things? No, not really. Not really. Not if it's good writing. If it's good writing, it's really easy because yeah. it's the best way to say. I actually think Shakespeare is the easiest. Me too. To remember only because, because there's no yeah. other way to say it exactly exactly he juxtaposes words next to each other that you will never never forget no you know like who would yeah. fartles bear who would fartles bear really oh okay well that you will never exactly to, when are you going to do hamlet darling i did it did I already she? Played hamlet. I, when did i when, i missed yes. this when i did it in washington dc at the shakespeare theater down there that for michael khan who was my teacher at juilliard and and it was really cool, you know, like a part that I always wanted to play, of course. And it was this big, expensive production. Uh, and it was fabulous. God. I loved it. I loved it. I got to do it twice. We did, we did it and then we remounted it. That's later. a big and commitment. How long do you get to rehearse that? That we rehearsed for like six weeks. Right. Yeah, I guess. Which is great. Yeah. You know, like a week just at the table mm -hmm. with just a few people. And then another couple of weeks with everybody at the table. And then you start putting it up. 
And then you start wearing medieval clothes again and you're all set, right? We did actually a modern dress production, which was really cool. So we had like cell phones and guns and stuff. It was cool. It was really accessible. And also my Hamlet was kind of funny and the audience really liked that. Not all the critics liked it, but you know, like Shakespeare is intimidating to audiences. And when you can help them, the thing I think about Shakespeare is if you're understanding what we're saying, it will be Mm -hmm. funny because you're like, oh my God, I get it. And so when the audience is laughing, it's not necessarily because we're being silly or funny or telling jokes. It's because they're following it and they're enjoying it. Yes, themselves. yes. And like Tolstoy or something or Proust or whatever, it's really funny no matter what. Like Shakespeare totally. had a very good sense of humor, which is why the tragedy oh, yeah. is so deeply felt because for the most part, there's a lot of funny shit that goes on. Romeo and Juliet is the perfect example. It's a comedy for half of it. Exactly. And then they kill Mercutio. And then, and, oops, oh my God. Yeah, exactly. Forgot to tell yeah. you some, everyone dies in the end. But by the way, I asked this question of all the people I talk to about their obit. Like you stay up at night thinking of gags to play on the corner of that place where the actor comes off. Yeah. I stay up at yeah. night thinking about my obit and what it's going to say. Can you say what your obit's going to wow. be? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I think I, w- I want the obit to say that I did lots of different things. Mm-hmm. I, I was able to be in different mediums as an actor, but I also hope that it talks about you know, like being a part of the trail blazed for queer people. Like, you know, that I was like in that first class of actors, you know, with Neil and Jesse Tyler Ferguson and Jim Parsons, like this first like wave that, that or maybe I should say the last wave of actors that had to come out, mm-hmm. wow. you know, that, that I was part of that because, you know, like, now I feel like people have to come out as straight. It's almost getting to the point where like right. <laughs> even straight people have to it. No, you're to right. It. It's really <laughs> at least in the arts community, right? Like the yes. straight people are having a very hard time of it right now. You know, the straight yeah. kind of non-queer people. Well, anyway, you're divine. Yeah, what I mean, do you want to promote on this podcast, darling? Well, come see Spam a lot. I'm there till January 21st, and then I'll be in Once Upon a Mattress until February 4th. Wow! And then I go shoot <gasps> season two of Shrinking, which is on Apple TV <gasps> Plus. I have a, a, a little bitty part in Maestro on do Netflix. You? I can't wait. Oh, it's so good! It's so good. I played Jerome Robbins. Come on! Um, and. Bradley is divine and Carrie Mulligan is divine. It is a beautiful movie. I can't, I can't believe I'm in it. I can't believe you. I can't Honestly. wait to see it. You can see it on Netflix right now? Yeah, exactly. I love it. Well, you are such a doll. You oh, mean it. Thank you. You have the I best life. I just want to have your life for 10 minutes. <laughs> you went in my closet. I do. I want your little enclosure. I love your little enclosure. It's charming. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you, darling. And Judith Light for Barbara Streisand. It's a deal. I'll figure it out. It's a deal. Okay. All right. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So, gosh, that was so much fun. That could have gone on for like another three or four hours because he's so funny and so adorable and he's talented and he's just so perfect in every single way and you know we got to the setback and we talked about how difficult it was for him and how excited he is to be on the forefront of like all of those gay actors etc etc but to me it was such a delight to delve into the details with this person And also just the idea that he might get Judith Light back into my life. You know, that is a whole other reason for having done that interview. So anyway, thank you so much for listening.
What a pleasure it was. And tune in next time. Darlings, if you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor and tell someone, tell a friend, tell your mother, tell your cousin, tell everyone you know, okay? And be sure to rate the show. I love rating stuff. Go on and rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts so more people can hear about it. It makes such a gigantic difference and like it takes a second. So go on and do it. And if you want more fun content, videos, and posts of all kinds, follow the show on Instagram and TikTok at Hello Isaac Podcast. And by the way, check me out on Instagram and TikTok at I am Isaac Mizrahi. This is Isaac Mizrahi. Thank you. I love you. And I never thought I'd say this, but goodbye, Isaac. Hello, Isaac is produced by Imagine Audio, Awfully Nice, and I Am Entertainment for iHeartMedia. The series is hosted by me, Isaac Mizrahi. Hello, Isaac is produced by Robin Gelfenbein. The senior producers are Jesse Burton and John Asante. It is executive produced by Ron Howard, Brian Grazer, Cara Welker, and Nathan Clokey at Imagine Audio. Production management from Katie Hodges. Sound design and mixing by Cedric Wilson. Original music composed by Ben Walzer. A special thanks to Neil Phelps and Sarah Katanak at I Am Entertainment. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity.